Welcome, listeners. This is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and co-host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And this is Richard Ceballos, your opinionated yet open-minded co-host all the way from the Silicon Valley slash San Francisco area. We are a podcast where we bring you local entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world to share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Also, we dissect stories of success and reveal some of the raw truths and hardships of creating and maintaining your business. So today, we bring you an incredible entrepreneur, Jaquel Horton, the founder and CEO of Fave, a new social media plat- or social platform dedicated to empowering superfans. Put simply, if you're a superfan of Taylor Swift, uh, BTS, and many, many more, this social media is for you. Jaquel left the comfort of working for Google this past spring of 2021 to follow her passions and hit the ground running with Fave, which has already raised $2 million in funding. Prior to her launch of the app, her passion, vision, and execution plan for Fave won her the 2020 Startup of the Year at the Music Tectonics Conference, which is what helped springboard her launch from tops to VCs and powerful music company labels that are behind the largest fandom in the world. Jaquel, thank you for coming to our show. Thank you for having me. What a great uh, place to be to connect with both of you and your audience. So thanks. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, it's great to have you, Jaquel. So today we wanted to focus on your startup journey, discuss how you arrived at your vision for faith, and describe what faith does for fans, or should I say what fans can do with faith. And I want our Black and our female entrepreneurs listening today to hear about your experience and receive tips for being the best leader in their field. Before we do that, I wanted to get to know you on a personal level, and I want the audience to learn a little more. So we're going to run a segment we like to call the Fast Five. But since the app we're talking about is called Fave, I renamed it the Fast Fave Five for today. So you'll see why soon. (laughs) So when visiting your hometown, San Diego, what is your favorite food to eat? The easiest question you can ask me, carne asada fries. Uh, I, I tried to, to use this every chance I get as like a celebration, excuse, anniversary, Christmas, uh, to, to do that uh, without question. So I think if you're not familiar with Mexican food for some sad reason, uh, it's the best food in the world. And I absolutely love carne asada fries. That's great to hear. I had some on Tuesday, so oh, that may have influenced the question. <laughs> so, so name one of your favorite concerts you attended. Um, that's a good one. I'd say maybe the um so I love attending live music in general because before I was even able to dive into phase, it reminded me every single time, gosh, I just want to immerse myself in the music industry and look at this energy, look at everything. So I appreciate every single one I go to. I think one thing, maybe a nerdy business perspective was uh, the, the Kanye and Jay-Z tour where they were just doing um, like fall so hard like 15 times and it was just like <laughs> these fans are going crazy every single time with this and why why is that you know so again as you can imagine it leads to my theories and, and excitement around building something like fave where fans can just keep diving in uh, around what they love i can only imagine so tell the audience about one of your favorite spots in switzerland um yes so we love going to Interlaken, which is, it's one of those places that it's like, this is a postcard somewhere. This is a screensaver somewhere. It looks completely fake uh, when you're there, but it's so real. The, the water over the mountains is turquoise and there's, you know, a guy like, you know, farming in the back with the cows and the bells ringing. It just looks so fake, especially from, you know, somebody who's, you know, from San Diego or from, you know, the, the, the States. It's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful and calming. And so anytime we need kind of a 
get away. We don't get to do it often, but when we do do it, it's just like, ah, it's so relaxing. So if you're ever in Switzerland, visit uh, Interlaken and the surrounding areas. It's, it's incredible. So I hope the listeners heard that. If once things get better with the pandemic, if we get a yeah. chance to go to Switzerland. <laughs> so what is your favorite Eminem song besides Stan and Lose Yourself? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I love the, the, the research around this. I, um, yeah, I wasn't, I was always like, I don't like the, the hits. I like the ones on the album that nobody's looking for. But Till I Collapse was my favorite song. He just the whole thing like no chorus like it just well well I, I, it was just the best uh beat in the song so yeah till i collapse till i die <laughs> <laughs> and the last fast fave five is what is one of your favorite activities for unwinding and relaxing mm-hmm. um yes uh, when when does that happen? But um, <laughs> I I have a three year old too, so it's like any time I'm not working, I'm busy with her. But I would say uh, I love kind of taking it. This is also nerdy, but I love taking a step back and just like watching videos on YouTube of like old conference. They're not old, but like past conferences and just getting insights about the industry and stuff like this. I'd say uh, besides like still continuing to dive into the work-related stuff, just like watching a stream of music videos is also how I unwind. It's like, let me just put on some 2004, like, playlist and just listen to it. Um, And I'd say that's really where I'm like, okay, let me just unwind. It's just watching music videos over and over again. Well, it's comforting to know that we're all music nerds here, so there's going to be a lot of smiling and (laughs) maybe one-off conversations about music. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Jaquel. That was the Fast Five. And now that we had a chance to learn more about you on a personal level, tell me, how did your startup journey begin? I think it started, and you already alluded to why you asked about the Eminem question from uh, a, a while ago on the personal side before even the professional side when I was a fan of Eminem growing up and that fan does not do diligence I was definitely a super fan where you know I, I knew everything about him right like scarily will mention how many freckles he had how like would, would you have <laughs> his you know name plastered on my wall had a password to get into my room for him everything about him, white out all over my backpack. Just I just adored this man and everything he did. Uh, and every lyric, just even though I was 12, like saying the craziest lyrics, I don't know why my parents didn't say anything, but <laughs> I somehow got, got away with that. Uh, and I think from there, I realized that when I got older and um, I look back at this time, it's like, okay, I was a super fan of this person but how does it make sense that because I you know couldn't afford to buy merch right or that was like $70 plus or I couldn't you know uh, go to a concert I still to this day have never been to like any of his shows or anything like that because the tickets were you know relatively expensive like he there was no other way for Eminem to like leverage my super fandom like why is that right like there was no outlet for me to be a super fan uh, online or show it in any other way besides like even for those people who did do stuff like that it was like once a year maybe that you could go to a show in your town and stuff like that so I just thought it was always so confusing why uh, that mismatch was there I'd say and so that kind of triggered later in my career but when I started working at BET, for example, we would dive into apps for 106 in Park when that show was, was on, the music video countdown show, and would do such interesting fan-related concepts where, for example, we would have fans be on a map. It was like a Twitter map uh, when Twitter was first there, and then you could see yeah. stars from where you were, then you would tap Kind of like a heat map, then, but um, with like fans. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then we would call the fan from the stage at 106 and Park uh, and then like have the, you know, trade songs like talk to you. Right. And so that was my first like take into fan engagement, along with other 
features like that where we would have competitions for the fans. We had fandomonium, like all of these fan related things went into allowing these fans to actually prove and exert and have experiences that related to the artists that they love. And so that was another take around starting to build these experiences, under, understanding what works, what didn't, uh, et cetera. That continued when I went to YouTube, where I was running the creator and fan engagement products there. And this was, you know, getting deep into creator tools, getting deep into creator feedback, understanding that we we're great at allowing creators to be the ones to push out content to their audiences. But, uh, you know, when it was time for the audience to react or participate in the content or connect with each other, right, um, in deeper ways besides just saying like like, heart, comment, like these very small transactions <laughs> that mean nothing, and, and, I mean, they mean something. But uh, there's just so much more for a good segment of the audience who would love to do more than just great. You know, it's like, what do you mean? It's like that you're in your room, like <laughs> digesting or, or dissecting this video, or you're in your room, you know, with trying to meet friends and want to talk about what you just saw in this. And it's like, how do you do that? Right. Um, and so there was a huge gap and opportunity that I noticed uh, among other things while, while working at YouTube as well. And all of this Again, plus that tie and scratching my head back when I was in childhood experiencing this led me to say, okay, you know what? You know, I, I've looked at fan engagement stuff for a while. I've thought that something like this, like a platform for super fans, would be a relatively straightforward concept, and no one is doing anything. And uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll likely get into like the fear of, of, of start of like, like you said, I was very comfortable where I was at, at Google in terms of an outlook. Like you don't come by a, a job, you know, and a salary like that very easily for somebody who, mm. you know, looks like us, right? Like you can't, yeah. that's not uh, taken for granted at all, at all. Uh, and so it was not, it wasn't, a, oh yeah, let me just build a startup and like, my parents will will pay for for my rent, and uh, if if anything falls, I can call my you know rich uncle who has, there was none of that. So it was just, <laughs> will this paycheck pay for this you know thing? Like that's all about. That's the only math you can right. calculate. And so um, I think you know to say uh, to say all of that plus you know again having like a kid plus you know all of these being in a different country, all of these things were like. If anything, that should show just how passionate I was about this concept because I was willing to risk it all, you know, for for such a thing that, mm -hmm. again, was like usually you'd be like, you're done, you made it, you're set. Like, that's not how, why would you ever throw that away? And I think even coworkers would point out, it's like, why are you working so hard? It's like, it's like, because this isn't, <laughs> you don't get, you know. I think you guys know what I'm saying. Like you don't get stuff <laughs> like this just and you just take it, man. Yeah. This isn't like a cool. It's like okay, I'm here. I need to make sure that I do do well. So, um, mm -hmm. I, I I think that uh, risk assessment um, plus the huge opportunity that came for me just made me so compelled to uh, dive in with these fans and make an experience for them that I just feel that they deserve. Right. Uh, and so I'd say that's, again, both professional and, and personal, how I got started on the journey. That's great, Jaquel. I like that you touched on what our risk can differ for someone who's a person of color, someone who's female, who doesn't have a lot to fall back on. I think that's really important to keep in mind. So I do want to ask this question to set the tone for this podcast. What has your experience been like as to fundraise as a black female founder? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think my experience, uh, of course, just like anything, uh, you know, differs from, from everyone else. Going into this, I was very aware and uh, cautious and kind of ready to take the, you know, people feeling like, oh, maybe you subconsciously don't trust somebody as much as somebody who may look like you or have the same 
skin tone as you for some odd reason, right? It's like you feel that, uh, you know, we don't execute as hard. I don't understand what that means because, again, if anything, we do because there's more at risk, right? Like, uh, and so I think I was ready for that, but also confused by that. Um, and how, I, I, if any, again, like, Somebody who, and this is very generalizing, right? Every everyone has different experiences, but like somebody who comes from a background where they may have like generational wealth and all of this ha- is easier for them to starting like a new company more lightly than somebody who doesn't have a, anything to fall back on because it's you're not risking at all, you're not like doing this, and uh, and I think sometimes when you start diving in there, it's a little bit scary to realize that you're journey that you're doing is in the hands of these other people with the with the money and all of this but um i went in very focused on the vision and the passion that i have for this and frankly i think that's what shined through beyond the color of my skin and the you know gender right it's like people were just like okay so she she has a unique insight into the world she believes in it and will work hard to get it done, uh, has a unique background and experience to make that happen. Uh, and all of those are the combinations that you can say what you want, but like, you know, those kinds of things hit the checklist of what you're looking for in an entrepreneur, right? So don't use these arbitrary factors to make a decision. Um, and so I think it was, of course, mitigated by having experience that I could point to to say I've done you know this before this is why it didn't work right and that vouch yeah. and uh, you know that helps again the passion and the clarity of communication I think also helped because again you didn't give them a reason to point to anything and be like yep I knew it I knew because she's a female or I knew because she's she's black she wouldn't be able to so crazy right it's like don't even give them a reason to hesitate be on your stuff right and so I think that was already the mindset that I went in there with and I got feedback like gosh Chappelle I haven't seen a founder like work as hard as you or I haven't seen a founder like raise as fast as you and all of these things and I was very also confused by that like so what are other people doing if they aren't working <laughs> like what are people doing do not do <laughs> they not care like, about their like, business it's like it wasn't like a, yeah I know working hard. I'm like I just like, what, literally, what are you doing if you're not doing the steps that I'm taking to make sure that this is solid? Um, and so I think because of that uh, innate kind of drive, uh, that mm. helped a lot. Um, you know, you have your fair share of uh, no's and, and too early and things like this. I think I always try to wrap feedback like that into, okay, how do I mitigate that in the way I'm presenting or this or get around that rather than, you know, saying like, oh, it might be because of the way that I looked. And even yeah. if it was because of the way that I looked, I think that mindset helps to make the original presentation like even stronger. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think these are some of the experiences that I had, but knew going in that I would have yeah. to against them and just planned ahead for that yeah and i think that's really insightful because i so from my day job i work with students and i help them like navigate college and i share with them an experience because i i grew up in like a predominantly diverse school where it was just like uh, latinos african-americans and people from like refugee war-torn countries and then going to the university where it's just the it's like a culture shock with us um, because we haven't been around that many like people who aren't our our skin color or aren't aren't from other backgrounds. Um, it was like a shock to me. So that I would always tell them like any you know by it's inevitable. Sometimes we have like these uh, biases, right? Or we have these things from where we come from. But how we respond, how we react to things, is what makes the difference. And you know, I just tell them like you got to shift your mindset and not make a lot of these assumptions because more than often you'll be surprised. Like I'm, like that white guy that was my lecturer is also a first-generation college graduate. Like I wouldn't right. guess that. Exactly. I opened up to him. I said, hey, I'm the first in my family to college. Do you have any advice? And he's like, really? Uh, me too. Me too. I have plenty of advice. I got you. So you bringing that into perspective of the, on the entrepreneurial world is, I think that's really a, a 
a breath of fresh air for some people who maybe are having those thoughts because it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Because I think that to your point, it's like it's the experiences that bond people together stronger than sometimes even how you look often sometimes those are correlated often they're correlated but Mm -hmm. yeah it's like you can relate to somebody in so many different ways so when you find those pieces of relation um it helps very much to just be vulnerable and and, um connect with that person on a different level exactly so not enough entrepreneurs i think sometimes talk about the setbacks or maybe failed projects that led up to that moment so i want you to tell our audience about any entrepreneurial lessons that you gained from failing? So I think one of them actually relates back to the past question uh, as well, which is how people will come in to observe what you're doing and make assumptions in the beginning and how you have to kind of kick back. Because as we were talking, I was reminded that there was somebody who I was meeting for a meeting. And at the beginning of the meeting, they were like, uh, it was, yeah, it was it, it was in the intros, like, oh, let's give intros. They're like, I assume this isn't like a, you know, venture scale business that you're going for, right? Like, you're not going to, like, make millions off of this, right? Like, it's probably just like a side project for you. And I was like, oh, no, it's like, I imagine this could be a big business with that will raise venture money. And then he was like, okay, I mean, I'm happy to chat. But and then by the end of the meeting, he was like, yeah, this is going to be huge and all of these things. And I think that was one of the early takes of like, okay, so you just gauge that I was had some pet project that I wanted advice on. And while you're literally a venture capitalist, why would I come to you if I didn't want to raise venture money? So it was an interesting thing. It's not necessarily a failure on my head, but one that I realized that people think you might fail. So you need to be, again, ready to uh, fight against the the adversities of people's mindsets affecting your your work and all of that and and making sure that they know you're just as ready uh, without those comments to keep pursuing as as hard as you were. Um, I think some of the things that that we realized, and and I don't even call them failures, so cheesy, but I don't call them failures. I call them learnings because... It's like, okay, great, that didn't work out. Now how do we shift so that we can actually push this uh, forward uh, toward a solution that, that does work? Um, and there's, um, you know, like, for example, in the very early days of our beta, we were getting a very small amount of uh, feedback and users trickling in. Uh, even though people were very excited in theory by the concept, right? Uh, and then it was, okay, why is that happening? It's not, uh, this doesn't work. It's why. Why is that happening? So diving into the issues and understanding, oh, it's because people, like while we may have assumed that people would be good with just giving them tools and then diving into something themselves, they actually need a little bit of guidance and inspiration for what, in mm. fact, to post on you know such a social network dedicated to fandom it's like do you do the same thing as the other ones do you do this and so we started saying hey let's give them a little bit of guidance and, and do that right yeah. and so i think that failure right was helpful to understand like how do we solve this and and uh, pivot this around to understand why that is happening in the first place and then push ahead to turn that around right same with every other learning that we found is that ooh. You know, some fans are shy to post, right? So maybe the rates, the percentage of users that we have, you know, we don't have a, a good percentage within that that's posting. And so we said, why? Why is that? Oh, we need lighter weight ways than video, for example, to have people post so that it's not, okay, I need to go get myself ready and think of a crazy idea and do all of this, but rather, hey, I have a thought, like, can I send it through a text, right? And so these mm-hmm. are some other ways that we're evolving the product. And so I think all of these things are always just understanding why that's happening. Yeah. And then saying, given that why, what are solutions that we can do there so that it's never a failure, it's just data. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for saying that, Jaquel, because I think this is the importance of being vulnerable in the business setting is 
not having your guard up and saying, well, this didn't go as planned, so we must be failing because Mm -hmm. sometimes we already have that voice in our head, but just being open and being a critical thinker. And I think this this is sort of the mindset you had when you were thinking about Faye was, why don't we have something like this? Why, why, why? I think those are more productive questions. And it's, we have to be careful as entrepreneurs to not have our guard up and maybe interpret something in a way that tells us we're failing. So I want our listeners to hear that clearly because I think it's real. that's sort of the value of being vulnerable. Because we're, we're talking, we're, we're going deep into like what I guess the product has to offer. And when I was looking into Fave, I didn't find any similar platforms. I tried looking. And with Discord and Twitch, building a community amongst content creators and even fans uh, for those content creators, how do you manage to compete or at least be ready to compete when, you know, a Twitch or a Discord does something similar? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, of course, you don't want to focus too much on competition because you want to stay with your unique vision, but you also have to own uh, and defend why this was a unique insight to you in the first place. Right. So like, for example, you could bucket this into social media uh, and say it's yet another social platform. It's a social platform. But the fact that we are slicing it out to focus specifically on super fans allows us to add new features that would not be the case on a Twitter, on a Discord, on a, you know, Instagram or whatever, so that you can make sure that you can super serve that audience. Right. Um, it's the same way why uh you know uh uber and airbnb and you know dog walking apps and like all these things were able to pull off for a specific vertical because yes there was ebay and other like craigslist all these other brokering people to buy things from each other but it's hey let's super serve this thing let's build a map let's build you know a way to take high quality photos let's all of these things that allow for us to super serve that that slice and that's the same thing we're doing with super fandom with the uh, things that we're building in right like for example you don't see a lot of gamification in uh, other social media apps but in fave we are exploring that because we want to find ways for people to as i alluded to in the beginning earn their way toward um you know winning a prize as a fan like early access to tickets or you know, a meet and greet or uh, exclusive merch or something like that uh, because they deserve it. And so that model is specific to, 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 the, to the audience. Um, and so there's, uh, there's also other kinds of apps besides just social media, like creator to fan um, apps like a, or sites like a Patreon um, yeah. as well, right? Or, or other community apps like a, specifically a Discord, uh, Reddit, you know, things like this. And again, right, saying, okay, yes, you could build things for general communities like skateboarding lovers and yoga lovers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, doing like fans is a specific way to serve that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can then tie in the fact that we give monetization back to the creators as well because fans specifically are inspired by their work. And this, um, you know, will allow for that win-win scenario between the artists and the fans to come together and, be in business together around the cheerleadership that the fans are bringing to them, right? So that's another thing. For the creator to fan, we're focused on fan to fan, right? Again, the, the audience engaging with each other, not just, you know, sitting yes, back and consuming yes. the content that their their favorite artist is giving them, which has a place. But obviously, that's the reason why we're fans in the yeah. first place. But there's so much more that we can dive into. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you just stay stay in your lane kind of and, and understand the different components that you're bringing to the table and execute that strongly. Yeah, Jaquel, I, I like this sort of imagery of creating your own lane for your idea or your vision for your business, because there's probably something out there where you're thinking, okay, there, I want to make my target audience very specific, but I want to do it in a way where it's Bring, serving that target audience in a way that they haven't been served before. Exactly. So let's talk a little more about Fave. You don't know how many concerts I've been to, and I thought I could have come up with a way better merch idea. Or that T-shirt <laughs> is just rotten. I don't want to say any names. I'm not going to start listing all the concerts <laughs> I've been to. <laughs> so how could the Fave app 
turn a fan's idea for merch into reality? Yeah, so we have on the platform a fan-to-fan marketplace, uh, right, where fans who are creating these better ideas or other ideas, right, um, can can actually put them on the market, right, and then start making sales. And I think, you know, we don't see, that, even though it is, like, we don't see this as, like, ooh, like, moneymaker kind of thing. It's, like, it's to showcase the creativity of fans. That was where the concept even came from, right? It's, like, there's incredible fan art out there there's incredible you know uh, like my classic use case is having uh nike shoes on the platform with uh you know your favorite lyrics on them or something on them and just a few days ago we got somebody uh to to partner with us to do that and and launch the marketplace uh with that and i'm like yes this is what i mean because it's so creative right and it's like the artist isn't gonna go make a bathing suit they're not gonna go make like a lamp, you know, with their like, you know, classic pose, or they're not going to do these things, but the fan will. And that's what's interesting is that, you know, beyond the t-shirts and the sweatshirts and the, you know, backpacks and hats, it's like you can completely scale and exponentially grow the, the scope of merch out there for fans to dive into. And even we would under, we would try to understand if fans would want this kind of thing or if they would just say no i want the official merch like why would i buy something that's not official but because it's unique uh and it feels even more exclusive right or because it's coming from like a small business right if or a kid in their bedroom who again has like a cool thought that they just want to make come to life they feel very good supporting that person Right, even even sometimes even more than than the artists often, believe it or not. And so it's been interesting to understand the opportunity and the dynamic that can be there from fans supporting other fans and being able to showcase the creativity that again like happen to translate to commerce. But I think it's really the underlying like support that uh, that we're building this off of. Yeah, and I think sometimes super fans are treated as secondary artists or secondary creators, and that in some ways could sell them short in terms of, hey, I have a lot of time, I have a lot of creativity, and I want to respond, like you said, to your art form, my favorite artist. So I think it's really key that we have something out there where you can have a community of artists come together, respond to each other, respond to their favorite artists. And one thing I did like about Faye was that you do reach out to the favorite artists before starting their fandom. I, I did appreciate that to just knowing that they were in the loop about their fandom. I think that's really great. The visibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then of course, even to your point, maybe just to make one uh, correction there could be taken as a second class citizen. Usually they are taken as a second class citizen <laughs> because yeah, they have the time, they have, the willingness, they have the passion to do these things, and they are doing these things. And so I think it's something I feel that the industry may not be as aware of. They know, everyone knows superfans and that, you know, the the power of superfans and all of this, but I don't think they truly know just how much these fans are doing and how much they, they want to do and want to engage in and the conversations that we've had with Uh, these fans and how it's just so serious and it's incredible to see this and organizing it in a place where they can be empowered to do this even more again is what we're we're all about right and so the, the artists can come in and can be involved if they want right but in fact we despite like the investors and partnerships that we have with all of this that are all these music companies we say like we actually don't uh, want you to get too involved because we want to make sure that it's not perceived as oh if the artist isn't there it's broken right um, mm. or we're only waiting for the artist to show up because we want to make sure that we can validate right to that point around like failure and, and, and nailing your concept the underlying mission which is connecting fans together and bringing them uh, into one space uh, and so the artist uh, always being involved would be distracting to validate that. And so we want to make that core first and then have the artist involvement be a cherry on top, right? Uh, If they want. um, First of all, heed what you said about how it's, you know, this is for the fans. This is for them to help to, to, to support one another. It's a community for them. 
if the if the artist comes it just happens to be the cherry on top that it just makes it perfect right but i think uh, I, w- I also want our listeners to know about your your business jaquel is why build an economy it seems like there's like uh you gamified the application there's some sort of token in the app and even a ranking system so why why is that important if you want to tell our audiences Mm-hmm. Yeah, we heard a lot from fans that they would get frustrated at experiences that allowed for that, like a random sweepstakes, right? Uh, or somebody from the artist team coming from backstage and like looking in the crowd and then pulling somebody to go be on stage or backstage because yeah. they would say things like, I've been a fan since 2002. I'm sitting here like in all this you know, crazy gear, that person just like came with their friend, they don't even care. And now they're on stage, like, get out of here, you know, and so they wanted us to think through a way to showcase, like, uh, allowing you again to prove your fandom, right? And to say, oh, the people in the top 10% get the ones who can get that extra perk, right? Or to be in the pool of the people who can get on stage or because I worked, uh, you know, hard or I've been around since this or I was around in this era, I did this action that the community appreciated. I've earned my way to get that thing rather than it just being, okay, millions of people and number 280. It's like, you know, and so it's, uh, it really goes back to that, um, the way to prove, prove it and get prizes kind of that correlate with your, your level of fandom. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Richard, I want you to ask her the question about Swifties because I'm curious to hear. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I'm a Taylor Swift fan. I wouldn't consider myself a Swifty. I'm not I'm not super fan status, but <laughs> you know, I've listened to Red and a few of her other albums here and there. <laughs> so knowing that there is a large fan base for Taylor Swift. Or Swifties, what was your marketing strategy for starting with Swifties as opposed to other kinds of artists or creators? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we wanted to start with um, the Taylor Swift fandom because two things. Uh, one, she is incredible and has captivated her fans to care so much about her and her life and what she's doing and the level of support. And that was very interesting for us to start ex- experimenting with, right? And so we had uh, early fans that we had chatted with before we built any product, any line of code, anything, uh, and we're just chatting with fans to understand what, how we refined this vision, um, and they were Taylor Swift fans. And they had a lot of interesting things to share around, you know, the, what, the, the stories that I described to you around, you know, being in the concert and, you know, wanting to be the one to get pulled because you're the real fan versus somebody else or that they met their roommate because they were fellow Swifties and that's how they got to know each other. Or they feel like they talk more to, you know, their fellow Swifties than they do, uh, you know, their best friends sometimes, <laughs> like, because they just <laughs> get them in a different way, which just sounds crazy, but it's like, there's just a uh, level of understanding there that, that allowed for that. And then, of course, right, it's like, why start with a huge fandom versus a smaller one? That scale allowed us to understand multiple data points and different kinds of fans and different kinds of, uh, of people and experiences that allow us to learn even faster, uh, right, than uh, sometimes a smaller set. And we did that, right? They were, we used uh, this experience to say, okay, let's have small group. Right. So we didn't go like crazy and announce saying, everyone come. Right. We, we said, let's get a set of people that we can learn from to understand how to grow with this. And that's exactly what we did. And we learned within weeks, like what we should do for months ahead, uh, if not longer. And so it was it was incredible to to work with those fans, given the, the love that they have. I have a lot of respect for, for her team and how they drive things forward. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Jaquel. It makes me think of videos I've seen of Taylor Swift showing up to some of her fans' doorsteps. And when I think about those types of images and just that relationship that Taylor Swift wants to have with her fans and her team wants to have with super fans, I think that's a great model and a great place to start. And I think entrepreneurs should keep in mind that sometimes you don't have to start big. You don't have to say, let's have five or 10 fandoms. It's like, let's start with 
maybe one thing and learn from there. And like you said, ask why, why is this happening and really study it to sort of build from there. So that's yeah. been a theme throughout this podcast. And I want our listeners to hear that loud and clear. Yeah. And I'd say maybe to add to that, it's not even, you don't have to start big. It's we, that like, it's also very bold to start with a big fandom like that. And that's okay. Uh, right. It's like, you can make a bold statement that you think fits with your vision and prove it and, and go. Right. So I think it's like, what's going to work best given uh, what you need to prove to define whether or not this is the right strategy. Uh, and I think, bold move or you know conservative move small big right it doesn't matter what it is it's just what's the best one to quickly prove whether or not this is the direction you should continue or or adjust so yeah you got to do what you got to do as an entrepreneur thank you Jaquel for the extra layer of knowledge this is why we're here today (laughs) so our listeners need to take this all in and see how they can apply in their everyday life So real quick, the Fave app is stepping out of its beta status and it's expanding its fandom selection. How do you motivate fans to be interested and engaged in the app for the long term? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, retention and engagement is is a big topic for us. So yeah, we are aiming to, as I shared before, one of the learnings was giving the fans more things to do while they're there kind of showing them a way of how to use the platform. It was something that we um, obviously learned from from the early days. In the last, again, not even 24 hours, uh, we have learned a lot more because we launched the uh, BTS fandom on the platform and they have they have been using the tools without us uh, needing to be too involved there. But that said, we had planned a bunch of activities for them to dive into. And I think that helped a lot, right? We have a dance class. We have like cup sleeve events. We have uh, a celebration of the dynamite anniversary, like many different things that we're doing to bring fans together and have these like tentpole moments for when they can engage. So rather than it being an open invitation, imagine if you were like, yeah, come to my house anytime you want. It's like, they're never going to come, right? But if you say, yeah, I'd love to have you for for lunch Tuesday at two. So we are taking that as a way to help bring them into an experience that uh, can help them feel the value that we're aiming to deliver, which is getting you together with fans that are just like you. And so having this uh, watch party or having this dance class, again, delivers that value very efficiently to a lot of people at one time. And then it's, okay, how do you keep them, right? Don't just come and leave. Thank you. How do you get them to move in downstairs (laughs) to continue that lunch analogy? Uh, So we're thinking of things, okay, how do you extend the experience further, right? You come for a dance class and then we say, hey, now post the videos of you doing the dance uh, on the app uh, and watch others, right? Or, you know, we're thinking of uh, hosting a scavenger hunt, right? That will last like multiple weeks and build upon each other and you have to find a friend to do something, right? So then it adds another layer. So doing these things that will extend the experience beyond just one moment or one day uh, allows us to, again, kind of earn attention in that way. And then the other underlying one, even if you have an open invitation, is understanding what is the moment that people who are using the app go, this like this was the magic moment. Like, this is it. Is it when they, you know, post their first video? Or is it when they get a message from somebody who they don't know and then end up, like, liking them? Or is it when they get, like, a certain number of points, something like that, right? And then once you find out what that is from talking to your users and really listening to, to what drives them to use your app, then you start optimizing to get people to that moment as quickly as possible. So it's, you know, okay, if it's getting you to do X thing, then it's how do we rid of any barriers to make that thing happen quickly? And then once they do that, then they're, they're in for life. Uh, and so I think that kind of thinking allows us to, to make sure we, we build a retention product. So I, I just want to say this as like you being in that like tech space, a little bit of that app user interface. Are you ready for your app to crash? Has it crashed yet because of the BTS oh, RV? Are like, you <laughs> Are you kidding? 
kidding? You have no like, idea. Like yesterday, <laughs> yesterday we were like, um, like okay, we're like we're gonna have crashes. We're gonna have crashes. All this. Um, we yeah, there was a couple things. The app crashed. Like you, if you've done this, it's happened. Whatever that phrase is. Uh, if, yeah. if you've done this, you you can claim your your fame for this. But yeah, the app crashed. We reached our maximum limit on uh the number of like chats that that you can have uh, allowance for the month in half a day like we had uh we we definitely had the fandom appreciate <laughs> coming through to faith to say the listen our numbers and our servers felt it um yeah. but that said we reacted quickly to make sure that people can still engage with the experience but yeah <laughs> you gotta um you gotta experience the crashes to know okay maybe it's working <laughs> i guess yeah Positive and spin. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. So I appreciate you sharing that. So now we're going to move to leadership questions and then we're going to close. But uh, what strengths do Black and female entrepreneurs bring to startup or the business space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's where I even started, right? Where it's that um, unapologetic clarity of thinking that you know, it's if you're willing to go through the difficulties that you know will happen as a black person, as a black woman, as a female, right? You must know you have something and you must know you have the willingness to push through that I think is the best thing any entrepreneur needs, but it happens to be particularly there of notice for like black female entrepreneurs because otherwise people would say, yeah, it's not worth it, right? Um, so to go through that. Uh, and so I think that absolutely helps to to get us where we need to in the journey. Yeah, as a follow-up question, Jaquel, what is an underrated entrepreneur quality that you're passionate talking about? Um, I would say it is conviction, which I think is definitely underrated, right? Having conviction for your vision is very valuable in keeping you and your team on that lane that we talked about without deviating too quickly to try a bunch of things that distract from a core reason why you set out to do this in the first place and willing to fight for that in a sense with people who will come in with the same you know, experience and biases that they've had for 25 years of being in the industry and all of this and say like, oh, well, aren't you doing this or aren't you doing that, right? But if you have a clarity of thought and the willingness to defend your idea, which is, you know, what conviction is, then you can be ready to say, oh, yeah, I totally understand why you think it might be this, but actually our vision adds this layer or tackles this or understands this nuance better than somebody else uh, and that this is why that's actually valuable and why the market needs it and why the market needs it now right and if you are clear in saying that that goes so far uh, we're doing this it's just if you want to come aboard or not is I, I say undervalued and I'd say that's like by far the the reason why faith has been able to, to get pushed is that that clarity of vision and passion I just wanted to I just wanted to ask one more question about Fave that I need to ask because when I was looking at the Google form, is there any hope to expand to other fandoms? So I'm thinking about the Lambly, so all the Lambs and Mariah Carey fans. Or if the fan experience is not linear, like you said, sometimes you're thinking of a playlist that, oh, I'm gonna put together like my brother and I were Drake fans, so we're like let's put together a Drake playlist and oh, it's so good. We listen to it again. And there's something different about listening to it at that time. But is there any hope to expand to other fandoms? Because I was looking at that list and I was like, Oh, I can think of so many more. Yes, of course. Like even that list, we need to update and add so many more to it without question. The vision is not for us to have three fandoms and call it a day. <laughs> it's uh, for us to, you know, expand across music, across music genres, across uh, levels of artists, right, down to, you know, the guy who has, like, diehard fans who come to every one of his shows. Maybe it's just, like, 100 or 10,000 fans, but they want a community to talk to, right, all the way up to the BTS, right? And so, and then also it's beyond music as well. It's like music is where we're starting, but you can imagine the same model applying to Harry Potter fans, to Star Wars fans, to, you know, Bachelorette fans, to 
you know, Laker fans to uh, Padres fans. I have to throw that in, right? They're, they're, they're doing okay <laughs> this season. Uh, but all of this expands to so many other verticals and so many different layers of fandom. So, you know, we're in the beta. <laughs> like, this is without question uh, expanding. And so if you have your request, feel free to, to send them in. <laughs> Jaquel, thank you for being on our show. Tell our listeners how they can reach out to you if they're needing any support, if they have some entrepreneurial f- fire going on inside of them. And then um, and then maybe you can tell them where they can get resources to, to do something similar to what you did. Yeah, um, I, I'm happy to have people contact me on LinkedIn. Excuse me, I'm on LinkedIn frequently uh, add me on there, um, you know, send a message, whatever. And I'm happy to, to connect there for sure. And then resources. I mean, I had a product management trade, right? Um, and I think that helps a lot with the, the vision and the thinking and all of this that, that I've been able to bring to this company. And so while there's many resources that you can do, I think uh, diving in, uh, you know, small product management courses or videos and all of this can help uh, help you think through how to evaluate a problem to be solved and then build solutions on top of that and making sure that you focus on the problem for your user set and go out and talk to your users as opposed to some of the other, you know, facets you would need as a business owner because I feel like if you don't have a strong vision and a way to communicate that vision, you know, you being great at accounting or you being great at, you know, some other skill isn't going to matter. So I would say, uh, you know, look into, you know, some product courses. There's like product school and like a bunch of other um, ways for you to start investigating some of those skills around strategy uh, and vision. And then I would say maybe one more thing related to my last answer, which is a resource to learn what to do. Talk to users. It's like, Talk to people and understand what the problem is. If you don't have your your thing yet, but you know you want to be an entrepreneur, um, you know, go talk to people and understand what their pain points are, what in life is annoying to them. Like, find what annoys you and what you're inspired by. I always thought it was interesting that a bunch of entrepreneurs would say that they experienced a problem and that's why they started a business. It was always like so convenient for me. And then I realized that the business I started was also because of something I experienced. It just gives you a different level of empathy uh, when you're doing it. So look inward <laughs> to understand what, what annoys you in life and also talk to other people, see if they have the same thing. And honestly, that's the best resource for you to learn how to be an entrepreneur. Thank you once again, Jacal, for all of that. And for launching, congratulations on launching the BTS fandom or ARMY (laughs) page that we're seeing on the platform. It's really exciting. And thank you for sharing us about your learnings instead of failings. That's something that we took away from today's podcast. So for those tuning in, make sure you follow and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, including our socials at Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance. Don't forget to check out Fave App. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and look forward to, to connecting with all of you as well.